Welcome to Blair and Barker. Seems like Friday, but it's only Thursday. This afternoon, baseball today, 307. Jays and uh, Orioles wrapping up their series. And then, <laughs> and then what's that sound? What's that sound? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's that Yankees. sound coming in? That's a Yankees I coming wonder, in. I wonder how many of the Jays defenders are going to be wearing sunglasses today. Oh, I, <laughs> I would imagine. I would imagine they there may be a few. I would imagine there may so? be a few. Oh, well, I would imagine so, yes. Uh, I would. Uh, I, yeah. I, I would think. I would think that would be. Same uh, guy on the mound too. Yeah, yeah, it is. He'll be like standing <laughs> at the top step, with holding, yeah. holding sunglasses, giving everybody out sunglasses. Grab everybody, everybody, grab grab everybody grab one. Everybody grab one. Oh God. The uh, Blue Jays beat the Baltimore Orioles seven six last night. Vladdy walking it off. Of course he did. Uh, a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, out of this game, Jose Barrios got the start. He was terrific. Lots of home runs. Five of them. Maybe. Maybe. With the warm weather and the roof open, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe the balls are going to start flying out of the Rogers Center all again. You Remember? They gave out a, handed out a new batch of baseballs? That's what been you a new man. They got rid of the Barker balls, the ones That's that funny. landed at the Sorry. warning track, and they found they yeah, found some new ones. Mayor's off the Christmas card list for sure. Yeah. Um Vladdy, as we mentioned, he homered, uh, four hits, walked it off with a double. Now, this is kind of the tale. This game is kind of the tale of two pitching decisions. And we'll talk about, well, we'll talk about the, the Jimmy Garcia decision in a minute. But let's talk about Vladdy. Extra innings, ghost runner on second, or designated runner on second. The Orioles... Have already used their closer, so they yeah. bring in Felix Bautista. Throws a hundred. Throws a hundred. Now the decision is clearly there, there's none out, and the decision is: Do you walk Vladdy to first? Do you intentionally walk Vladdy and go after Kirk? Now a couple of things. I mean, Vladdy doesn't matter. The run doesn't matter. The score is tied. Bobichet's the only run you got to you got to worry about. Uh, so do you walk Vladdy, which is probably. <laughs> the play most people would have done. Then you're getting to Alejandro Kirk, though, who's pretty hot right now. And then you've got Teoscar Hernandez, who's also homered in the game. But the point being, and Vladdy said this in the postgame with Hazel May, once he knew that they were going to, he, he told Alejandro Kirk in the on-deck circle, get ready to hit because they're going to walk me. They didn't walk me. They didn't walk him. He got the double and he said once he knew that they weren't going to walk him, it was game over. <laughs> I love it. Which I love. But, I but this is the thing, Kevin. And we didn't really go into this in detail much on Blue Jays talk last night. But I wasn't that surprised because it's the Orioles. You are trying to figure out what you have. You're not, you're not contending. You're not going to the playoffs. You got a guy in the mound who throws 100 in Felix Bautista. I, and from my point of view, if, you know what? I kind of like what Brandon Hyde did. I kind of like. Let's see what. Let's see what this guy. Let's see what this guy's got against against. Vlad. It doesn't matter if we lose the game. Now you know. Yeah, I'm sure right. the Orioles were upset because the Orioles clawed back for a young team. That would have been a good comeback win. But I don't know, man. I I like that. You throw. Let's see. Let's see what you can do against Vladdy. Because you know, Felix, if you're any good, you're probably going to have to get this dude out at some point. I I mean, how do you feel about I, it? I, well, Hyde told you what what he thought of the game when he was trying to bunt. A bunny to got a third base yes. and two outs with that ghost runner at second base with the nine hole hitter coming up. He they were trying to win the game. They're trying mm. exactly, and and they, they knew took they had their a, shot. It didn't work out. 
they they had a guy in the bullpen that they knew they were bringing in at through 100 miles an hour. We're going to face through three righties. Yeah. Now again, if you if that was the Tampa Bay Rays or that's the New York Yankees or if that's another team, you're probably walking Vladdy yeah. to get to the guy behind him because it's Vladdy. You, again, the play what? is to walk the the play for every team in baseball, every team in baseball, but Kansas City, Detroit, and Baltimore is to walk Vladdy. I think. Maybe, maybe. Again, it gets back to a, a lot of it is it's real hard to walk out to a right-hander and say, walk a guy when you throw a hundred. Yes. It's very, like a hundred's not easy to hit. The dude's looking, uh, why am I out here? All, the dude's looking at you going, you why am to, I out here? Don't throw it down the middle. What's he do? Throws it down the middle. Right down the middle. That, that, so that's, again, well, it's, very, it's very hard to second guess a manager when you're one of the worst teams in baseball. Now, your lineup, that's a decent lineup. Like mm-hmm. the, the middle of that order is not an easy out. Mountcastle, look, you make a bad pitch to him. He got some things for you mechanically, and he can hit a breaking ball. He can keep it fair. He can hit velocity the other way. Like he can do some things line to line. He's a he's a he's a you know a decent hitter to watch, and and they can uh, I guess somewhat build around that. So that that's not too bad. Look, it's it is what it is. You they they did what they thought they had to do to try and win the game, and. Mm-hmm. That would just tell you Vladdy's mm-hmm. found his mojo. Mo- Mojo's a thing in baseball. And when you got it and you're as talented as he, as he is, that's sort of the last step. That's the most, for me anyway, the most important step of, out of all of them is you got to have confidence in yourself. You got to have confidence when that situation comes. No matter who's on the mound, if I got my stuff going and I had the confidence to the mix, Good luck getting me out. And he sort of, you can tell just by the way he's walking around and the way he's carrying his bat. And even the way when he takes pitches now, it's like, yeah. You know, sometimes you just need to face teams that can get you hot, that can't attack a weakness that you may have and will sort of get you in the flow mechanically of what you're trying to do. And now hopefully he can carry that over to some of the better teams that they're about to face. But, man, that's I, I've said this and I'll continue to say it. He's the best right-handed hitter in baseball. Yeah, he uh... – like I said last night, any any walk off is a great walk off, but there's there was something dramatic about that because it because it because it is Vladdy. Because it is Vladdy. And I'm not taking anything away from anybody else, but there's something special when a guy like Vladdy does that. And you know, I don't I don't know how you quantify it. It just it it feels that way. Now let's let's talk about the other pitching decision that for the longest time I think uh, people were really upset about. I was upset about it as well. I mean, I wasn't upset. I don't get upset about much. Uh, two strikes, <laughs> Jimmy Garcia. Oh, it really? doesn't matter. Well, you just lied. I don't get upset He's... about much. Like not with the baseball team. I, you know, I winning's great, but I mean, it's not like it's going to determine but my question. mood whether or not you question. Win. Yeah, two outs. I've got Jimmy Garcia on the mound. Um, two on, and. Ryan Mountcastle, who has hit the Blue Jays hard for a year and a half. I never know what to make of that because every situation is different. But in this game, he'd already homered and he'd made decent contact throughout the series. So Pete Walker goes to the mound. Now they've got Adley Rutschman on deck. There's a switch hitting rookie catcher hitting. He'd homered earlier in the game and doubled in his previous at bat. But the dude's still hitting under 200 and he's, 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 he's a rookie catcher. Uh, so for reasons I, for, for reasons I still don't, I don't understand Jimmy Garcia. What, what you did the, you did the, uh, the number of pitches that, or the, 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 the 
pitch breakdown for Jimmy Garcia. He basically got, he, he gave up a home run on his fourth best pitch. Against righties. Against righties, which, yeah. you know, Pete Walker goes to the mound. And, and I, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of going out to the guy and saying, don't let the guy get a hit pitch, or pitch around him. I, I'm just not, uh, especially with one of my, with, 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 with a leverage guy like that. But I guarantee you, even having said that, at no point did was a decision made that they should throw a couple of pitches, and you know your fourth best trying, pitch not, down the middle. He's not and, trying to throw a pitch there. Let's no, be honest. Let's not. No, let's to, not lie about supposed that. Supposed to be off the he's, plate. He's but. trying to get him to to chase something. He's going to throw a secondary pitch and hopefully make it look like a strike. Why, why wouldn't you off just put plate. him on? Why wouldn't you just put him on? Because that's not what you do. That leverage guy. We just talk about that with Vladdy. Throw that guy facing the. Dude it's different. Though. It's different though. It's, it's not, earlier it's in the game, and you're you're you don't think so? No, I don't. And you're the Jays. You're not the Orioles. You're not in last place. You're not. It's yeah, not you're, you're the, not developing even, Felix Batista. Even further, even further to my point. Okay. You said there's two guys on. So that would be the basis loaded coming up with a with a with a switch hitter who's had a, a good day. And you're asking your setup guy to pitch a Sorry, round. one on. Pardon okay, me. Okay, so now there's two on. Yeah. So now you're putting pressure on. No, I don't like that. All right. I don't like that. The, again, this gets back to the point that we've made for the last week and a half or so. The 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 it was they need a left-handed bat. Now they need better arms coming out of the bullpen who in big situations can make the pitches that they're supposed to be making. Jimmy Garcia's had some nice games. What he had eight eight outings in a row where he didn't give up a run. Yeah. Until last night. Me for me anyway, he throws too many pitches. How do you how do you always keep everything in line and have good break on a slider, a curveball, a changeup, a sinker, and a four seamer? That's a lot of pitches for a guy that throws in the eighth inning and sometimes will throw in the fifth and sixth inning, depending on where they're at, who they're facing, where they're at in the lineup. Like he throws, you know, in some big spots. Sometimes he just has too many pitches. I just, for me, the pitch selection is a little odd, right? He had better chance of of gripping it and ripping it with his slider, other than a finesse. Sort of that curveball. A lot of the times, if not all the time, he wants to throw for a strike. He wants to have a quality strike, not down the middle for the most part. But that's more of a quality strike. If you want it to look like a strike and dive off the plate, you'd have a better chance, at least for me, to either throw the sinker, the four seamer, or the slider. That's. I'm guessing Petey walked out there. I have no idea, nor would I ask, because you know, there's certain things you just don't ask, no. and that's one of them. Yep. But I'm I'm assuming he he brought it to the attention of everybody. Hey, this is their best hitter. He's really hot. He's hammering mistakes. Okay. Just if you're going to throw him something, make sure it's off the plate if you miss with it. And I'm sure that's what they were trying to do. And just so happens he choked it off. He didn't get it out front as much as he'd like to. And it's 82 miles an hour, and 82 miles an hour is a BP hater, and that's something you can create backspin with. That's the, that's the whole point. And when it's coming in spinning, if you hit the bottom part of that sucker, it's going to leave with backspin. And that's, again, these are sometimes you got to learn the hard way. And you can tell Jimmy Garcia when they when they pan the camera over there and his face, he's sweating like crazy, and he was rubbing the sweat off his face. He's saying, I ain't going to do that again. Yeah. So you learn the hard way sometimes. And, again, a, a good offense, a really good hitter bailed him out. But these are situations when you when you're thinking about September and October and you're wanting to run into the playoffs, not back into it or fall into it, and you're wanting to run into it. The arms that you run out there that time of the year needs to be a little bit better than what we've been seeing the last week or so. Right. And if you look at the schedule, once the Jays are through with the Orioles, 
The Yankees come in this weekend for three. Then the Jays go on the road to play the White Sox. Now, the White Sox, we've seen the White Sox. We know what's going on there. But that's certainly not a gimme. You're going on to mm-hmm. face the Brewers. The Brewers are going to throw some good pitching at you. And then the Red Sox and the, and the Rays. Then the Red Sox oh. and the Rays. And you've got five against the Rays. There's a doubleheader in there against the Rays. I believe there's a, a doubleheader, right? Five against the Rays or four against the Rays? Five there, against there, the Rays. There is a, a doubleheader on Saturday. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like I, I mean, I, I said last night in social media and, and on Blue Jays talk, I, you know, it was what it was June, I think June 26 last year when Ross Atkins made the deal for Adam Simber to solid, to to stabilize the bullpen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin, if I'd said to you, and I I talked about this on the morning show today, if I'd said to you coming out of spring training, you know what, June 15th, June 16th, we might be talking about the Jays needing help in the bullpen. You would have gone, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me because there just wasn't a lot of swing and miss stuff. We knew that coming out of spring training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, look, I think we're at the point where basically you're, you're almost, you won't come out and concede first place to the Yankees. But if you did, if you did concede first place to the Yankees, I, I don't think too many people would, would be upset. You're playing to get yourself <clears throat> ready for the playoffs. <clears throat> Get the relievers in now. Like, you're, you're going to need these guys at some point. You are not, you know, you know in your heart of hearts, you're not taking this bullpen as it is into the postseason. Mm-mm. You're not. You're not taking it into September as it is. Now, yes, when you acquire somebody or when you go out and shop earlier as opposed to the trade deadline, it's going to cost you more. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you, Kevin. If I need some swing and miss stuff in the back end of the bull, I'd re- I'll take it now. I'll take it now for these games coming up against the Yankees, Red Sox, and Tampa. I need them as much now as I do you down the road. Well, you'd certainly think that Ross and everybody around Ross would, would be thinking the same exact thing that we're thinking. They're, they're, it's not like probably they're not trying to do that. But it is, what are you, what are you willing to pay for a David Bednar or a, a David Robertson, some some guy that's not Adam Simber? I'm Man, I hate to say it that no, way because I know that's a little yeah, rude. But but it, yes. yeah, you, you, you want a guy who's going to come want in another and, Adam Simber. You want like a guy who's going to come in and Adam strike Simber somebody. Whatever out. time of the year they got him last year, then it would be one of the guys that I just mentioned. You need some quality stuff. You need to be running it out there where it's real tough to match up if you're mm-hmm. an offense or you're a manager against that certain arm that's coming into the game. You know, it's again. The Blue Jay, the 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 bullpen for the Blue Jays has been really good. It was abused early because it had to be abused because of the way the offense was going. And I know, and you know, and everybody else that watches the Blue Jays know that they thought the 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 bullpen was what it was. They yeah. knew this coming in, but they thought their offense is so good that it would hide the woes that whatever that was, and he could correct, meaning Ross could correct that whatever part of the season that he had to do that he could correct, and he would have a little time to do it. Now you can just see it. There's some urgency. And it would, quite frankly, send a message throughout that clubhouse that we ain't messing around. Like you bring, you, you go out and do something, you give up a, 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 a prospect. I don't know who you give up, but hey, you give up whoever you'd have to give up to give whatever you get, would send a message. This, yeah. this front office ain't messing around. We're in it to win it. And I'm sure they're thinking exactly the same thing we're thinking. And, I'm, and I'm, I would expect, and, you know, I don't say demand, but I would expect, and if you're a Blue Jays fan, you expect to see something, a move made real soon to, to solidify what needs to be solidified coming out in the sixth inning on. And, you know, because Ross Stripling, let's quite face it, probably is not going to give you what he's been giving you all the rest of the season. It's going to be real tough. Right. I read there's a lot of things going right for him. 
And we're going to find out because that adding and, and subtracting and the nice curveball break on that and the arm speed on the changeup. But his next start, well, you've we're got gonna, we're you, going to see. You've got Manoa, you've got Stripling, Manoa, and Kikuchi against the Yankees. Well, you know, well, well the we'll, first two games, we'll you, you got to think with confidence that those two guys have. They're going to give you a chance. Yeah, it's mean, the Yusei Kikuchi start that. Yeah. Do you have any idea what you're going to get? No. I have no not idea. A, not, not I'm not a, sure they do either. I have no clue. It could be two-thirds of an inning. Uh, it could be four and a third. It's probably not going to be six or seven. I will probably say not. that. I want to talk about Vladdy, and I want to give you a chance to to talk to people about uh, about his finish because you pointed something out yesterday about Vladdy's finish. Mm-hmm. And as someone who played the game, you could do a much better job of explaining. He he's he finished with two hands, mm-hmm. and he also finished with one hand. Yeah, pronation. Yeah, he, he had a pronation, pronation finish right. where where he basically but throws you, his you top were, hand towards the pitcher. You were talking to me. You were saying to me that is I mean, that is just so hard to do. Nobody ever talks about that. But that's physically, a, that's it's elite, hard to that's do. That's elite stuff. Okay, like, explain but, it. Well, your creatures habit. You like you when you're in cages. You normally don't work on both of those. The, the sort of where you're standing in the batter's box dictates on how you finish. Because if I'm Danny Jansen and I'm standing around right on top of the plate, it's very hard for me to have a one-handed finish because it's almost impossible for me to have the big finish that you want because of how hard because of how close you're standing and how hard they throw. It's almost like you got a little alligator in the barrel when you're standing that close to the plate where it's in and it's out. It's in and out. But it's okay because you're standing so close to the plate. Well, well Vladdy's standing, and the timing that he has, and now that the balance that he has, and you see a lot of Vladdy where he steps out and he's not taking a dry swing, but he'll basically take that athletic and he'll stop, and he's trying to tell himself to drive the front shoulder towards the target. I want to finish it. There, to where I can have, you know, they always say sort of have two spotlights. So where the finish, you have both shoulders pointing towards the target. Like mm-hmm. it's pointing this way. It's not where sometimes because his timing's off, it throws off his balance to where he hits the ground balls. He's top of the baseball and sort of the front shoulder is towards Louis Rivera. The left the shoulders towards it's, Louis. It's yeah. way over there. So you can tell when he takes a, a little thing, he's telling himself, stay in there, drive it through there. And that one swing that he took on the homer will tell you that his timing's back. And the reason why I say that, to be able to take, even though he was a little up on the breaking ball, Mm -hmm. but to be able to pronate that, have enough timing that's on point, to be balanced enough that you can throw the front shoulder and because the ball's away, because of where he stands at the plate, you really have to be able to get to the finish and stay through the finish. I always say this, short to it and long through it. But depending on where the pitch is at determines on how long through it you have to be. And for him to be able to do that because it's balanced, because he's thinking about throwing the front shoulder towards his target and having it finish through the target to be able to release the top hand and pronate. Like I say pronate, that throws the palm towards the ground. That's what I used to call it when I was hitting because I was a pronator. I was a guy that couldn't do both. I wasn't. Mm-hmm. First of all, I wasn't uh, loose enough. I was very not flexible. Basically, yeah. I was a very strong upper body guy, and it was very hard for me to have a, a finish where the barrel with two hands would hit my back. Like, Vladdy mm-hmm. has so much force from the time his front foot hits the ground and that rotation that he has to release it somewhere. That's why you see it bouncing off his back the way it was. 
So just to be able to see him do both balls in, I'm a two-hand finish guy, like both hands on the barrel because I don't have to have the short to it and the six imaginary balls after I hit the baseball like I would if the ball's away from me. Now because I get in a balanced position, I can release the backside towards the baseball. I'm keeping my front shoulder in, and I make contact. And to keep that thing fair in the big part of the field, I have to really fight to keep the barrel, those six imaginary baseballs through it, and to do that and to keep the front side in, you got to release the top hand. It is elite stuff. I can't explain to people how elite that is. If you've never tried it, try it. It's because you are a creature of habit. You get in a cage and you do something over and over. That's what they tell you. Find a perfect swing and do it over and over and over and over and over again. And then you get in the game and you've done something over and over and again. And then because of the pitch, you can do something different and hit a ball that hard. That's why for me, I don't care the start he's gotten off to. I'm going to stick with it. He is the best right-handed hitter in baseball just because of the way he can do the things with his hands. It's unbelievable the way when the barrel hits the ball, the center of the ball, with all the launch angle, and I roll my eyes and I'll continue mm-hmm. to do it whenever they were saying set the tee low and have him have an uppercut swing. You think he could have had an uppercut swing and hit three balls last night 115 miles an hour? No, no, because he wants to hit the center of the baseball and to do the things what he does, releasing the bat and staying through the ball. I used to try and do it. It's 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 elite stuff, and to watch him do it is is easy and is fluid. It's controlled violence. That's that's the only way I can say it. When it hits the ground, how much torque and force he he creates from just throwing his backside at the baseball is, and then to release it, it's got to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like it can't be like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. who hits against a firm front side and it's closed off because he wants to have his hands close to his body, and that's the way he can force it in there. Vladdy has so much force from the time he starts his swing that has got to go somewhere. And for him to be able to release hand and keep both hands on the barrel, that. It's just, it's amazing. Like, it really is amazing for when you're a player, an ex-player like I am, and as many times, as many days, as many hours, as many minutes as I spent in a cage, and you watch a guy that can go out and do the things that he does offensively. Blue Jays fans are lucky. This That, that don't come around every day. That's generational. That's amazing stuff, man. It's, it's enjoy it. <laughs> That's all I can say. Enjoy it. You've all, you've always said when we talk off the air and that that as a former and, and this isn't meant as a slight to anybody, but I think former players understand what it takes to be elite to do stuff like that more than fans or people who haven't played the game at a high level. And, and you, that's one of the reasons you enjoy watching Vladdy, don't you? I, I do. I you, love it. You love it, watching it, the act, his the physical act of Vladdy swinging a bat. I, I love it when everybody says he hit that ball 115 miles an hour. And the first thing that comes to me, well, how did he do it? How did he do that? And then you watch it and you break down his swing and you slow it down on video, which I do all the time because it's elite stuff. Like just that where he has enough mindset to think because the pitch is there and I want to keep – targets my shoulders coming towards the target Mm -hmm. like my finish i've always said this to you don't look how they start look how they finish the finish will tell you exactly everything you need to know about mindset and where they're at mechanically and to see him do those things because of where the pitch is at and to keep it to to where it was going big part of the field 
That's elite stuff. Uh, we do have to talk about, uh, and I, and I want to talk about, I don't want to say do have to talk. I want to talk about Jose Barrios with you. Seven innings, three hits, no walks, eight strikeouts, 86 pitches, an eight-pitch first inning, uh, three uh, strikeouts to start the third, three consecutive pitches, uh, Stowers and, and Mateo, each of them on three. I'm sorry, three consecutive strike, two consecutive strikeouts and three pitches. Don't let it beat you. Boy. Why? I looked at his monthly breakdown. And Jose Barrios is having a terrific June. And Jose Barrios, Kevin, always has a terrific June. If you look at his career numbers, his, his June is far and away the best month of, of, of the season for him. Now it's, I mean, it's not even close. And his ZRA is like, is, is 12 and 4 in his career. Not that wins matter. His ZRA is 286, sandwiched around a couple of months where it's around four. Is that just fluke? No, that, 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 He's such a good June pitcher. No, 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 nothing in baseball is a fluke, Jeff. There's there's always a reason for everything. I, I, I do think that, for me anyway, spin guys need reps. They need to do it over and over and over again. It's more about where you start a spinning pitch than where it ends up, right? If I start it at where I want it to start, I know that if it's spinning and I get it out front and mechanics are all the same and I'm in a straight line, which is exactly where he was at yesterday, the finish, even a couple times you could see him, he didn't even – finish it this way, he was finishing it more with a straight front leg and would hold it out there Mm -hmm. just so he could feel (laughs) the finish and the straight line kind of thing. And the second one may be a theory of mine, but he did come from Minnesota. It's colder and all get out there. What do spin guides need? They need to be able to grip the baseball. Like, they need to be able to feel, you know, Mm -hmm. I put more pressure on my middle finger. I put more on my thumb. Like, you need to be able to feel that. It's cold outside. Very hard to do that, right? It's very hard to feel one of those two. And even in the dome, you're in the dome. It's it's. And if I can't feel it, it's just not going to go where I want it to go. So, that that was my theory part of it. But, you know, my fact part of it, I think I got that pretty honed in. I just think he's a spin guy, and he needs more time to mechanically get sound enough to get in a straight line and figure out the the three-quarter arm angle and to really be able to get it out there and to know where to start it. He got a couple of different ones now. Mm -hmm. You can even see him over there with Kirky second time through. Let's start throwing the 12-6 one. When he can start doing that and stealing it, oh, oh, now all of a sudden I'm thinking as a hitter, what do I do? What do I look for? Now he can do that and steal that. Now he can expand with one. He can slow it down with one. He can take the sting out of your bat with one. And now all of a sudden he's got the two-seamer. He's got a sinker, two-seamer and a sinker. That's a little bit of a big difference because you're trying to do two different things with two different pitches. And he can elevate the four-seamer and go away arm side. He's confident. Like he's oozing it. You can see out there like it's just I'm going to get it and go, get it and go. And Kirky did a really good job. They had a really good pace. I didn't really notice what the pitch comp's done is – it doesn't allow a viewer to see this. They just stand there. Yeah. They don't do anything until he pokes the right button and, and then they not. just shake to it. Yeah. So you're not really seeing the shake at all. So you don't really know whether you'd have to ask the pitcher. That's interesting. So that's because interesting. there's no, there's really with pitchcom there's really no there's no reason to no. to shake your head. There's just a reason to nod. Absolutely. Like there's and you're also you know if you do that the 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 hitter's kind of you know, because hitters will try to read if a guy's shaking in a certain sure. set, and then you get this pitch. Okay, the next time I see him shake, I'm a, 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 a good hitters can pick up all those cues. It is well a lot of the times for me anyway. When I was hitting off a guy that shook a lot, that means he didn't have confidence in a pitch that the catcher thought that they game planned mm-hmm. to throw me to get me out. That puts doubt right because the catcher is the catcher following the game plan. Absolutely, and if they're the pitcher isn't going along with the game plan, that means something has happened. 
Absolutely. That, that gives me that gives me a competitive advantage at the plate, and I'll take all of them because that shift, I'm going to take every single one of them I can get. Uh, Jonathan Mayo is MLB draft and prospects analyst with MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. Over 200 players are currently attending the second annual draft combine at Petco Park in San Diego. I think a lot of us thought the combine might have been something baseball was going to do simply as a result of the sort of the dislocation in the schedule created by COVID. But it now appears as if it's a thing. There are a ton of former major leaguers out there. So we'll talk to Jonathan Mayo about that. Dan Schulman joins us for his weekly hit. Jeff Passan as well. And yes, indeed, we do have tickets to give away to the June 28th game against the Boston Red Sox. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we got to find out. As we were talking about movies and food, do you ever take, you know, your Skittles or whatever you get at the theater and dump it into the popcorn bag? And let it all mix together. Dumbest thing I've ever heard. But that does not surprise me that the person that would say that to me that's done it I just is you. It's kind of good because you get the salt mixed in with the sweet. And it's it's kind of, you can do that with, you know, you used to be able to get Glossette's raisins. I don't even know if they make any anymore. Chocolate-covered raisins, you dump Wait, them in the like popcorn. it's like a surprise for your mouth because it's dark in there. You really <laughs> don't know what's going on. And you just reach your hand in that big bucket of popcorn and... That is one way to look at it. Like a sour look at it. surprise. Yeah, you never know what you're going to find in a big big bag that? of popcorn. You reach down in there and... You ever see the movie Diner? No. Okay. Well, I played anyhow. five sports in high school. All right. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's Blair and Barker. Uh, if you uh, are listening to us via podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Well, they just turned it off. I was going to say rate, <laughs> rate, review, and prescribe. Rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> Maybe it says, that's, uh, that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. At least you went and watched the movie. I did, yeah. Well, I had to. I had to after you giving it, giving it, you know. Seven stars. Four bats up or whatever. I had to go watch it. Um, four bats up. Anyhow. Uh, over 200 players are currently attending the second annual draft combine at Petco Park in San Diego. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean... This is one of those things baseball has started to do where you look at it and go, why didn't they do this before? Oh. And, but, but I never, I got to admit, it wasn't until they did it last year that I asked that question. Up to that point, I just, it never occurred to me that baseball should have a combine. This is just the way baseball did their business before the draft. Mm-hmm. And then I assumed when they did it that it was a, a way because of the pandemic to kind of bring, bring everybody together. But, uh, I mean, MLB Network has, has turned it into, and, and, and good on them, they've turned it into a production. It's, for me as a baseball fan, as a, as, as a baseball journalist, you've got to watch it. I get a kick out of it. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's quite a thing. They didn't have it when you were a prospect. No, no, I wish, I wish they would have because that would have been, you know, maybe taking me from the third round to the first round. Well, Let's bring in Jonathan Mayo. He's MLB draft and prospects analyst. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. We trust that you're doing well. Um, tell us a little bit about about how baseball came upon this idea of of having a draft combine. 
Yeah, hey guys, I'm doing well. You know, a little bitter that Jim Callis got the assignment to hang out in San Diego for a week, but uh, I'll get I'll get past that. Um, yeah, it sounds like you're well on the way to getting past it, my friend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not bitter at all. I hope he's eating all of the tacos. Um, well, when no, they do all, it in, in Abilene of- next year, you'll get that one, so don't worry about it. <laughs> he did it last year, and it was in North Carolina. I mean, and which was fine, but yeah, the, the, San Diego is where everyone wants to go. Anyway. Uh, you know, I mean, I think you know, it was one of those things where Major League Baseball has you know, c- kind of continuously tried to, one, grow the draft, uh, two, provide more opportunities for players, and, and three, uh, provide some ease of access to, you know, for, for all the teams. And you know, this isn't, you know, recreating, you know, uh, coming up with something that's never been done before. I, I, obviously, anyone who is a football fan has seen what the NFL has been able to do with the, with their combine. And obviously it's different, just like the baseball draft is different because the players aren't quite as well known, but this helps with that as well. And, uh, you know, so they wanted to create something where uh, it's a bit of a kind of one-stop shopping that's mutually beneficial for, for players and for the teams. And regardless of what the players are doing, because not everyone is there playing in games or, or even doing, you know, infield, outfield and batting practice, but at the very least, there's a whole bunch of them taking care of their medicals. And so that's all done with and all 30 teams get all that information and players are meeting with teams. And I think that's probably the most beneficial part of it, uh, where, you know, especially if you're considering taking a guy in the first round and you're going to give them four or $5 million or whatever it is. And they've gotten FaceTime with area scouts and things like that. But this gives an opportunity for general managers, scouting directors, all the higher ups to sit down face to face with these players that they're, you know, that they're going to kind of hinge the future of a franchise on. And I think, I think that's huge. And I think it's only going to grow from here. Who gets invited to this combine? Uh, so major league baseball has some sort of, I don't want to call it a formula because I honestly don't really know, but they come up with their own kind of internal rankings mm-hmm. and they will send out invites to the top, 300 or however many they decide uh, and and they kind of do it that way. So I think it's trying to, with a broad brush, cover most guys who have the chance of getting taken in the first two days of the draft, meaning the top 10 rounds. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, don't, yeah, I don't know the, the exact cutoff. Um, You know, Jim Callis and I have had some conversations with folks there in terms of identifying uh, additional players and things like that. But uh, I, I think that's the general kind of thought where uh, if it's, you know, if a team is going to use bonus pool money uh, to sign you, then you're going to get a, a, an invite in a, in a general sense. Jonathan, you have the Jays taking uh, shortstop Jet Williams uh, 23rd overall. Why him? Uh, Cause he can really hit um, and there's a good chance he'll be gone. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, you know, I think uh, the the Blue Jays would be thrilled if he was there. Um, you know, there uh, know that they like him, but there are a lot of teams starting at around 15. Now, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but uh, you know, he he uh, he has the chance to really hit from both sides of the plate. And uh, you know, I think not that the, I, I don't really like Compton. I don't think he's really anything like that. But you could look at the success that a Bo Bichette has had and say, well, you know, they, they may be willing to take a chance on on a high school middle infielder and you know, let the bat play. And he's got that kind of advanced uh, offensive skill set where I think there's a little more confidence that uh, 
that, that he can hit his way up to the big leagues, you know, whether he's a shortstop or, or a second baseman long-term. Jonathan, if, if a player was, you know, maybe projected to go in the second round and he was going to this thing, could, what would he have to do to impress enough to go in the first round? You know, I don't know that there's anything like on the field that would really, you know, uh, because, you know, a lot of the top guys aren't playing, you know, they're playing a couple high school games now. And it's like the kind of typical showcase where a pitcher goes out and throws to five, six batters or whatever, to, you know, so they can kind of air it out and the pitchers are going to dominate. So, you know, the high school pitchers can, can really help themselves. I think that's where the interview process, uh, you know, uh, really comes into, into play, Kevin, where, uh, you, you may like a guy and think, oh, maybe I can get him in the second round or you know, in the comp round if you got that extra pick. But then you sit down with him and you're really, really impressed and you know that he's meeting with other teams. Um, then maybe you say, well, boy, we like his skill set. You know, we've been scouting him all year. We saw him last summer against really good competition. And, and now we're adding this piece. Um, you know, the area scouts may have been said, like, boy, you're going to really like his makeup. And then the scouting director gets to see it for himself. That could be the difference between like, well, maybe we'll wait till the second round to, you know what, we're a little afraid he's not going to last until our next pick. So we're going to take him a little bit earlier. Is there a consensus number one? Nope. I mean, you know, there's a, most people believe Drew Jones, that's Andrew Jones's son is, is the best player in the draft. Uh, It's not consensus that he's going to go number one. uh, But, uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's, you know, some, a good amount of separation between him and the the number two guy uh, on our board anyway, and, and uh, that's Elijah Green. That's Eric Green's son, and Eric Green was a Pro Bowl tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we think they'll become the first father-son first-round duo in multiple sports. Um, we're still dig- digging into that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, a lot of father-son combinations in this year's draft. But, you know, Elijah Green's got a ton of upside. There's a little swing and miss concerns over the summer and he answered most of those questions this spring so he's number two and then you've got jackson holiday and that's matt holiday's son um you know kind of hovering right around there at uh you know number three so jones is is probably the best comp because he's got a really high ceiling but also like a pretty high floor like there's some certainty as much as you're going to have for a high school player that uh that it's going to work at the at the next level he just does everything so easy it's kind of a lot like his dad in terms of the speed out in center field if you wanted to, he plays a really good shortstop, but you're not going to want him to because he's a gold glover in center. Uh, Jonathan, are are we kind of back? <clears throat> are we back in the normal sort of draft and development, uh, you know, environment in baseball now that the pandemic and the pandemic isn't over, but now that we've sure. we're, we're things are a little bit more back to normal in society is 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 kind of the baseball. Is is the clock for Major League Baseball, the timeline for Major League Baseball, minor league baseball, drafting, developing players and all that, is it back to where it was? I, I think we're kind of resetting. You know, I think there's going to be some recalibrating. Uh, one of the things that's different is the age of the players. Always, you know, it's kind of a big deal, like on the development side, uh, about age for a level. You know, and if a guy is too old for a level, well, you know, that doesn't tell you as much as if he's super young and dominating level. Uh, the issue, because everything got pushed back and there was a, a missed year, I think that you have to recalibrate. So if you see a 24-year-old doing well in high A, where maybe you would discount that, you can't because there's, first of all, a lot of 24-year-olds at that level. And we don't really know what that missed year is going to do 
for development. On the scouting side, yes, I think it's pretty much back to normal. Uh, you know, one of the, the, the weird things with, you know, uh, it may take a year or two until it's 100% just because of that that chunk of time where it, it wasn't normal and guys weren't playing, you know, you're trying to, to look at, uh, you know, we, we did a show early this year looking at the 2023 draft class because uh, for the, for the PDP league that I'll be going to at the end of the month, the big showcase that major league baseball does for high school players for next year's draft class. Um, those players that played one year of high school baseball, right? Because they got wiped out for a year. Right. I mean, so I think that there, there's, you know, we're catching up now in terms of the, the data that teams are collecting on the players that are going to be considered to draft. So even like this year's draft class, you now had a full, you know, 2021. You had the summer, which is really important, especially for the high school guys, and now a full another full season. So we're close, um, especially because teams aren't focusing on guys, say, when they're freshmen or sophomores, mm-hmm. but they're just not, you know, they weren't able to participate in that sort of high-end events then. You, you did such a great job on your mock drafts. If, if I'm a player and I see my name on your draft first or second round, uh, what's the, what, would there be a downside of me, a player, that I'm, you know, expected to go in one of those two rounds? Why would I go to this? Is there, is there a downside to it on the player side? Well, you're giving me too much credit. I would never try to mock the second round. That's pure yeah, insanity. Yeah. Yeah. First round in baseball is hard enough, but, but, but thank you. Um, but, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think there is a downside um, because you can choose what you want to do. You know, if you feel like, oh, I'm a pretty comfortable first rounder, um, then you could just go and do the medicals and the interviews. Mm. Uh, and and that be it. you don't have to do anything on the field. I don't think anybody's – holding that against you. That said, I don't think, you know, I'll, I'll give you a, a good example. Tamar Johnson, uh, who is one of the best pure high school hitters we've seen quite some time, had a great summer, um, can really hit left-handed swing. He's not that big, but he's got really surprising power, um, but played in a conference in Georgia that was terrible and his team wasn't very good. So he didn't see good velocity and, and, and he didn't see many strikes. So teams are really kind of frustrated that, you know, they couldn't evaluate him this spring. He's playing in a wood bat league, uh, you know, anyway, out, outside of Atlanta, but he's at the combine. He's going to take batting practice. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's going to go to batting practice and what swing and miss. That's not going to happen. And no team is going to look at a batting practice session and say, Oh my God, we were considering him for a top five pick, but that was a bad BP session. So now we're not going to take him. So I really don't think there's any downside because he'll do the BP session and then he can meet face to face with the teams. We had him on our podcast. I can guarantee you he is only going to help himself when he's looking people in the eye and, and talking uh, about hitting and talking uh, about what makes him tick because he is a, a tremendous young man. I, I may be th- overthinking it with this question, but say there's no shift next year in, in Major League Baseball. Teams look at these guys differently because of that? Hmm. Um, that, I, I think it's a good question. I, I don't think so because mm-hmm. you know, you, you're trying to evaluate, well, what will the swing work? You know, Just like mm-hmm. you're not teaching hitters to try to beat the shift, and maybe you can get frustrated that they should, but you know, if you're paying a guy either with a bonus or you're developing him because boy, he, you know, he's got a really good left-handed swing with power. Uh, he's not going to change what he's doing because of the configuration of, you know, of the infielders. Um, 
you know, I don't think changes to the game like that impact how you evaluate so much. Mm -hmm. I think the only time where that really comes into play is like if they go to an automatic balls and strikes system or anything like that, where framing, which has become an important piece of data for, for catching prospects, no longer matters. Mm -hmm. Um, If we ever get to that point, then, you know, maybe you're going to see more of those guys who get moved out from behind the plate staying there because all you have to do is, is be able to catch the pitch. And uh, obviously if you can throw and things like that, there's more to it than that. I'm oversimplifying, but I don't, I don't think that you look at a guy and be like, Whoa, you know, I really like the swing, but uh, if, if there's no, you know, if there's no shift, then I don't know that that's going to work. Maybe, maybe the opposite, maybe it works better, right? right? He's, he's really got power to his pull side. And now it doesn't matter because they can't shift to it. Mm-hmm. And defensively, that wouldn't enter <clears throat> teams' considerations because I guess if you're good enough, if if you're a good athletic shortstop, you you can adapt, right? Yeah, I think you know, uh, for, you know, you may see more guys now who play shortstop in the big leagues who you're like, boy, I, d- I didn't see that coming because they don't move as well mm-hmm. and the shift over things. Like that. So maybe we see more of a return to making sure that you find more pure shortstops, right. uh, you know, the glove over hit guys maybe get a little more value than they once used to because now you have to play shortstop, you know, um, you know, I'm dating myself, but, you know, back from when I remember when you, you had those guys who didn't necessarily have to hit, and I think those days are gone, you're going to have to hit, but where your ability to make the play in the hole or make the play up the middle becomes more important than it does right now mm-hmm. um, because you see guys who make it up to the big leagues and you're like, well, I don't, I don't think that guy was going to play shortstop in the big leagues. And sometimes guys surprise you, right? You know, if you had told anybody that Corey Seager would spend his, you know, his big league career playing shortstop, I think most people are like, no, I would have predicted he was going to shift over to third. Right. But some of that's because of the shift and some of it is because he ended up being better at it than people gave him credit for. Jonathan, really good of you to join us today. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really Great good stuff. insight. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime, guys. Thank Take you. care. It's Jonathan Mayo, MLB Draft and Prospects Analyst, MLB.com and MLB Pipeline. The, the, the only reason I, I was listening to him talk about the wood bat, I can remember the first shock that I had with a wooden bat, the first couple of bats I had was balance of the bat. Wooden bats are top-heavy. Even if you pick this bat up that I have in my hand that only some people can see, but I do have a bat in my hand, it's very top-heavy. With aluminum, they're balanced. You can buggy whip that thing. Like you could be late getting your front foot down and still get the barrel to a heater because it's balanced. Mm-hmm. Wooden bat, you can't do that. Young kid, it's not used to wooden bat as much, goes and has a bad batting practice. Can't get the head out. What would that do to you? Say you're projected to go late first round. Would it do something to you? I know if I'm a scout and I don't see the buggy whip and I don't see like that finish to the that little you know like a punch a boxer does like that little wah, that little jacky that that jab he has and I don't see that with a wooden bat if I'm a player and I'm his agent I'm really thinking about that like would that be a a bad thing to do no well, you have to think about it yeah one of the reasons that the canadian uh the national junior program has been so successful is, and, and one of the reasons so many people in baseball like it is, you know, they go down and they, 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 they play in the, the late spring and early summer in places like the Dominican Republic that, and they're all swinging wooden bats. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if there is a, a Canadian prospect, you've got your eye on, you've got a whole bunch of data of him swinging a bat in a game 
a wooden bat sure. in a game. And that that's uh, it is an aspect of the game. And, and that's why if you watch if you watch a college game, I mean, you're right. Some of the some of the swings and the resulting hits you see with they're, with, they're late and they still have exit velocities. And they sh- they still have hard hit percentages because that is you can buggy whip that. It is really light and it's balanced which is not what wood is. Wood, that's why it takes you. It took me five or six years to figure out the exact bat I wanted because one's has too much weight near the handle. The other one has way too much weight at the end where the head's at of the bat. So there's a process of figuring out the hitter you are, what you're trying to hit, what you can't hit, Do- and the bat, you, you figure out the bat according to you as a hitter. And I just think maybe that's not the best thing if you don't like wood. Do, do so. teams, and this may have changed now, but when, when you were in college, did teams allow their players to swing wooden bats in BP? No. Just 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 because, you know, just because you want to do it? No. Why no. would you? No, I'm just wondering if, if a guy is 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 a draft prospect, if, if perhaps, you know, he said to the coach, I'd like to take a couple of hacks per round with, wouldn't bat. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just asking. No, I don't. I. I never went through that. I mean, I was a. I was a. I was like scouts came to see me a lot. Yeah. And I never had a scout walk up to me and go, Hey, hey, can you swing this a couple of times in batting okay. practice to to let me see what it looks like? Because I was. <laughs> I was getting frisky with that aluminum bat. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. So I'd rather have fun than to get jammed and hit a ball in the shortstop's head. That's just what I'm saying. Don't blame me. We've got tickets to give away for the June 28th game against the Boston Red Sox. We've got Dan Schulman. We've got Jeff Pass, and we've got a lot of baseball talk ahead. It's Blair and Barker on 590-360. And as always, wherever you get your favorite podcast.